So did you ever have to do a science project? Or for some of us, did your parents ever have to do a science project for you? Um, Science projects are interesting. I I came across an outline for a high school science project this week because that's what I do with my free time. I look around for high school science projects. And I came across this outline for this very interesting uh, science project. And it's intriguing, and it's the the kind of project that might be right up some of y'all's scientific alleys because it's all about watching TV. So the way it works is basically you have a group of test subjects. You get some people to volunteer, and what you're going to do is you're going to show them clips from TV shows and movies, and and they'll see these little clips. and, And amongst the test subjects, you actually have a volunteer. And the volunteer's job is to, at certain moments in those clips, to either laugh or cry. So it's kind of like a, like a laugh track, right, on, on sitcoms, you know, there's, there's automatic laughter. And so what you're doing is you're trying to evaluate how these people are going to respond. So in other words, you have your volunteer, everybody's watching the clip. Sometimes you're going to tell them to laugh at certain times and see if everybody follows the laughter. And then other times you're going to tell them not to laugh and see if the people still laugh. So basically this is a science project about peer pressure, right? I mean, that's what it is. It's all about peer pressure. And I hate peer pressure unless my friends like it and then I think it's cool. See what I did there? Yeah. The reality is, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what age we are, we all face peer pressure. It might be lying, it might be laughing, it might be crying, it might be gossiping, it might be tearing somebody down, it it might be taking that third cookie, you know, crumble, the, the coconut cake ones, and we always have this peer pressure of, well, do this and do this or say this or act this way. We all are surrounded with peer pressure, no matter what age we are. And the truth of the matter is that is very specifically true when it comes to how we learn and how we think. There's a lot of peer pressure that goes into how we listen to things, how we think about things, and how we learn things. We're continuing our series called Doors where we look at some of the most defining doors that we face in life. Our message today is educational doors. Last week we did vocational doors, things at work. Uh, Today, I know I'm a couple of weeks ahead of of school schedules, but uh, educational doors. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah 55 in the Old Testament, and what we're going to find is an invitation. We're looking at a time that was about 700 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah is going to give this invitation from God to all who will listen. And it's the kind of invitation that can help you learn. It can help you learn whether you're in high school or middle school or college or graduate school. It can help you learn even if you're just sitting down watching the news or listening to the news. It's a a helpful invitation to help you think and help you learn. But it's not just to help you. It's the kind of invitation that can define the way you think and define the way you learn. Define your heart, your mind, and your attitude about all things. So that sounds like some kind of invitation there. So what is this invitation? Well, let's find out. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. The prophet writes, Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
there's a sense of urgency with this language. Seek the Lord now. While he may be found, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. We don't mean to, and I'm getting ready to bring the room down, but we're all going to die. <laughs> I'm glad I went to church today. Thanks a lot. But, but it's true, and we, we tend to run away from it and act like it's not true and it doesn't exist. But right now, in this moment, we can seek the Lord because we're alive. We have the ability to seek the Lord. So this is a, a good moment, a good time for us to seek the Lord. Every moment of life is a great moment to seek the Lord. But we're talking about a, a people here that Isaiah is writing to. They were surrounded with sin. They were surrounded with a corrupt world. Most of the book of Isaiah is full of judgment. But the judgment is there because there's also something else in Isaiah, and that's salvation, this message of salvation that was coming. So the judgment's there, but the salvation is there because the salvation is the hope of the universe. Isaiah points us in the direction of Bethlehem. He points us in the direction of the coming Messiah, the Savior, Jesus the Christ. And so we have this scene where he is urgently saying, hey, you need to be looking for God right now. One of my sweet, precious friends is not streaming with us this morning because yesterday afternoon she went to be with Jesus. She, she rarely missed watching our service on Sunday. But, but today, Ruby doesn't have to stream a service because she's with Jesus. This isn't a fairy tale that we've made up to make everybody else feel good about life. We are confident because of the birth and life and death and specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promised return of Christ that we are not in the middle of a CGI movie right now. This is truth that has been authenticated. That your salvation means when you breathe your last, you are with Jesus. So now is the moment to seek the Lord. If you've never sought the Lord, now is the time to seek the Lord. But if you are seeking the Lord, then know that when your time here seeking the Lord is over, you will see him face to face. That is the promise we have in the gospel. So the invitation is to seek the Lord while he may be found. But if we're honest, even within the church, most people aren't really interested in that invitation. Seeking God is, is not really this, this passion of the world, even among professing Christians. There's a story of, of a madman that went running through the marketplace one day, and he was screaming out, I, I want to see God. I'm, I'm looking for God. Where is God? And there were people in the marketplace that did not believe in God. And so they began to, to laugh at him and mock him and, and question him. They said things like, well, did he get lost? Is he like a little child and, and lost his way? Is he afraid of us? Is he hiding from us? Maybe he went on vacation. They laughed and they ridiculed and the, the madman shouted back. He said, where is God? And then he said this, I will tell you, we have killed him. All of us are his murderers. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. That story is from the parable of the madman by 
Friedrich Nietzsche, the famous German philosopher of the 1800s. Charles Colson, the late attorney and political advisor, responded to this parable and said this, Nietzsche's point was not that God does not exist, but that God has become irrelevant. God is not dead because he doesn't exist. God is dead because we live, play, procreate, govern, and die as though he doesn't exist. So, so how are we living these days? How, how are things going this summer? Are you living life this summer in a way where God seems secondary or irrelevant? Or are you living today almost like the madman, looking for God, seeking after God? That's the invitation from Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek after God while he may be found. And listen, God can be found. He's not hiding. He's not on vacation. God can be found in thousands and thousands of ways. Right now, God can be found. You can see him in the sunrise and the sunset. You can see him in the crashing waves of the ocean or the snow on top of the mountain. You can see him in the birth of a child. You can see him in the design of the ear. God is not hiding. God can be found. However, the way that we think, the way that we learn, and the way that we often are trained to think and learn can actually keep us away from finding God, can actually keep us away from the hopeful reality of finding God. In 1943, C.S. Lewis published a book called The Abolition of Man. It was a critique on the modern uh, education movement, uh, modern education in general. And again, modern education 79 years ago. And so he's, he's writing a critique about what he was seeing in education in the day. And, and here's what makes that interesting. See, we are pretty tempted to say this is the worst time, these are the worst of days, that our society and our culture has never been as bad as it is right now. If that were true, the seeds of that were not planted eight years ago. They were planted 80 years ago. That's how learning and that's how thinking happens. It's not immediate. Thinking and learning is not an Instagram thing. Those seeds are planted many years before. Really, we can go all the way back to the garden for when the seeds were planted. But we have this picture and Lewis begins to describe what, what he was seeing 80 years ago. And what he was seeing was that in the education system, there was this new sense of devaluing, that, that the way that value was defined was changing. One of the examples he used was a book known as the Green Book. It was an elementary textbook in the UK. And, and what he described was what the authors of the Green Book had this principle, this, this thought. And it went like this. When we make a value statement about something in the world, we're not actually saying something about that thing. We are just giving our subjective feelings about that thing. And what Lewis said was, if school children begin to read this, they're going to start having a principle that says that extremely valuable things are no longer valuable. 
what that looked like in, in real life. I was reading an article by college president Joe Rigney and, and he described it this way. He said, it'd be like standing at the Grand Canyon, looking out and saying, this is glorious. This, this is beautiful. This is stunning. But if we take the principle from the Green Book, the principle would say, well, that's not true. It's not actually true that the Grand Canyon is, is stunning and, and beautiful and, and glorious. That's just your subjective feeling about what you're looking at. So if that principle takes hold, what, what can it lead to? Here's what it can lead to. It can lead to someone looking at you and saying, you don't have value because you exist as a human. You only have value if I decide with my subjective feelings that you have value. Do we see that anywhere in our culture today? The devaluing of actual human beings if they don't fall into certain categories. The devaluing of value. And, and that's why we repeat passionately Isaiah's call here to seek the Lord while he may be found. Why? Here's why. Because it is only the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the ancient of days, the one true creator of the universe. It is only the one true God who can look at you and say to you, you have glorious value because I created you in my image and I created you for my glory only God can say that to you I'm about to make some statements I want to clarify something before I do I'm, I'm going to say the, the phrase religious view I am excluding the gospel from that, meaning there's lots of religions in the world. Okay? I'm, I am saying that, that we would say the gospel is alone by itself. So when, I hear, when you hear religious view, I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm, I'm talking about general religion. But you were not created primarily to have a certain religious view or a certain political view or a certain economic view, or a certain sexual view, or a certain view on anything or opinion on anything else in life. You were primarily created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That, that's, that's your purpose. That is your existence. Because the reality is you will always have value if that's your definition. If the definition of your existence is you were created in the image of God to glorify him and enjoy him forever, that value cannot be removed. There is no religious feeling or political feeling or, or sexual feeling or economic feeling or any other kind of feeling or view or opinion that can ever remove that you are a creation of the one true God. You have value because you have been created in the image of God. Nothing can take that away. Except for the wrong principles that feed how we think and how we learn. 
How often do you watch the news with the gospel in mind? Because if we're honest, we'll watch the news and we'll read the news with our checkbook, with our gas tank, with our retirement account, with our health insurance, with capital gains, taxes, and just about everything else in the world in view. But how often do we think and learn as we go through life with the gospel in view? How often do we approach life with this confident reality that if we are seeking after the Lord, then he can be found? And here's why you should seek after him. Because there is no religious view and no political view and no economic view and no sexual view and no other view on this planet or opinion that can save and satisfy your soul. Only life in the one true God can do that. Only God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the ancient of days, the one true creator of the universe, he's the only one who can save and satisfy your soul forever hence the invitation seek the lord while he may be found now look i I realize that most people in the world don't care about that they they have they have no desire to mess with this invitation but see as christians we're compelled to keep offering this invitation we're compelled to keep saying seek the lord why because we've been found and we have found the Lord. God is not hiding. God can be found. And not just in the sunrise and not just in the sunset and not just in the Grand Canyon, but by his design according to his plan with great detail and an abundance of love, God has displayed himself in one strategic certain place. And that place is the Bible. The Bible is not our idea of revelation. It's, it's God's idea of revelation. It's how God chose to reveal himself. The Bible is God's book. It's his idea. That's why we often say it's the word of God. And you can find the word anywhere. I mean, there are, the word of God is on the shelves at, at a lot of our houses. You can find the word of God uh, listening to the radio in your car. The, the word of God is, is strewn throughout the, the music and the prayers and the preaching of the average church. There is no hiding from God. God is not trying to hide from us. And that means that we do not have to go out in the parking lot and look for signs and wonders and miracles. God has given us the sign, the wonder, the miracle of his word in his book, the Bible, by his design. This is the strategic way that we find him. So, quick question for your heart. Are you seeking the Lord? And specifically, are you seeking the Lord in his word? Is the Bible just an ancient book? Or is it a book that, as it says about itself, it is living and active and alive in your life? You see, God doesn't wait to be found, right? He He comes to us. He seeks after us. He makes it possible for us to find him. He has displayed himself in the wonder of creation, and he has very uniquely displayed his grace in the pages of the Bible. And in so doing, what God has done is let us know that he loves us, as the choir sang. 
because in the pages of the Bible we have this account of the reality that God sent Jesus to us and Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us and God raised Jesus from the dead to authenticate this story so that this is not a fairy tale there is something of enduring eternal worth to the Christmas story and the Easter story and and every page of the Bible because all of it points to us and helps us see that Jesus is the only ultimate way for things to be right with God. In other words, it's in the message of the gospel that we find God the most. If you're trying to find God, then look at the gospel. If you're trying to find God, then look at Jesus. That's why the invitation is being given. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And what do we do when we find him? continuing in verse 6 call upon him while he is near while he may be found while he is near call upon the Lord how do you do that how do you call on God how do you call on the Lord I know this is overly simplistic but it is the answer and the answer is pray talk to God So, so how do you do that one day Jesus was teaching a group of religious leaders and, and he told them a parable. And the parable was about two men who went to church to pray. And one of the men was a, a longstanding church member and he went up on stage behind the microphone and, and he prayed this, this super arrogant prayer about how great the church was and what a great church member he had been and, and all these different things. And then the other guy praying was a tax collector, which was amazing that he was even allowed in to pray because back in the day, tax collectors were mean, greedy, awful, ruthless, dangerous men. But Jesus says on this day, that tax collector was seeking the Lord while the Lord could be found, and he found him. And he became so overwhelmed with his sin that that he couldn't even lift his head to heaven. He stayed bowed, just beating his chest. God, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's that's all he could pray. That's a pretty good way to call on the Lord. God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. God, have, have mercy on me. Whether you are not a Christian or you've been a Christian for many years, that's a great way to call on the Lord. Lord, have mercy on me today. God, be merciful to me today. Years ago, I was watching a a trailer for a movie, and there was a scene in the trailer where there was a priest, and the priest was was looking at this man, and, and the priest said this, a man can be reached if he has God in his heart. And the man he was talking to responded with these words, I don't think God is very interested in me. And I can remember watching that trailer and I went, no, 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 God is so interested in you. He is so interested in you. He so loves you that he longs to save you. He is so interested in you that he sent his son for you. He's so interested in you that he has made himself findable. He's not hiding. He is there, clear, everywhere, available to be found, to be known. God does all of the work to be found. And when we find him, he says, call 
on him. Turn to him in prayer. There's no special formula. You don't have to have a theology degree. A child can do it. Seek the Lord and call on his name. But even though it's simple to do, it is strategic. It, it has to be genuine and authentic. In other words, seeking and calling on the Lord is, is not like taking a trip to the Holy Land, right? And you get over the Holy Land and, and you get baptized in the Jordan River by an official Jordan River baptizer, you know, and you get your picture taken with the Jordan River baptizer and, and then you get this nice framed certificate that says you've been baptized in the Jordan, so now you're really, really, really baptized and, and you go home and you put that certificate on your wall and then you go do whatever you want to in life. You don't really follow after Jesus. You just, hey, I got the certificate. The real, I got baptized in the real place. Some people think that's what it means to seek the Lord. Some people think that's what it means to be saved. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the best of people. I don't, maybe I need to get saved. Yeah. It's kind of like if a, if a judge was ruling against a deadbeat dad. And this dad's abandoned his family. And the, and the judge says, all right, you're going to have to start paying. And so he says that he's got to pay, you know, for the next 30 years to support the family that he abandoned. But then he sets the payment at a dollar a week. See, some people approach salvation like that. It's like, yeah, maybe I need to be saved, but I don't know. I think I'm just going to join the church. I think I'm just going to get baptized. You know, I, I'll just give a dollar a week. And that'll be good enough you can go that route but that's not the route that leads to heaven according to all that we see in the scripture to seek the lord and to call on the lord means that you pursue the lord that you try to get near the lord and you try to stay near to the lord that you watch the news with the gospel in mind that you spend money with the gospel in mind, that you do your job or you do your schoolwork with the gospel in mind. To seek after the Lord, to call on the name of the Lord is ultimately a call to receive Jesus Christ and to become a completely different person. That sounds a, a bit far-fetched there, right? I mean, all of us have at least one person that we're thinking, yeah, they'll probably never get saved. You know, they're, they're never going to change. You know, people have been saying that for a long time. There was a woman whose life was an absolute mess. But she ended up washing the feet of Jesus with her own tears. She received Christ and she became a completely different person. There was a man that was crazy greedy, just stealing money from people. But then all of a sudden, he started giving his wealth away. A wee little man, Zacchaeus, he received Christ and he became a different person. There was a man who persecuted followers of Jesus Christ, but he became a follower of Jesus Christ, even lived a life of suffering so that people could hear about Jesus, and they quit calling him Saul and started calling him Paul because he received Christ and he became a different person. There was a, a little boy that grew up in the church, and outside of not really honoring his mom a whole lot, he was a pretty decent kid. 
But he was dead and damned and condemned in his sin. He was a good church-going kid who was dead in sin. But then he received Christ, and he became a different person. And that person is still a pretty good sinner, and he messes up a lot. But before he steps in this pulpit on Sundays to speak to you, he's still calling upon the name of the Lord. He's still seeking after the Lord because he knows he has nothing outside of the Lord. Paul, it's been said, had the equivalent of of two PhDs. And, And yet, when the Lord was there for Paul to find him, Paul didn't hide behind his textbooks and say, "Mm, I don't want anything to do with that. You, You can't be real. No, he felt the urgency. He felt that God was making himself known and and he sought the Lord. He called upon the Lord. He received Christ and he was saved and he was satisfied. So, are you seeking the Lord? Have you received the Lord? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Are you truly saved and satisfied? This, this, This isn't, you know, hokey religious way to try to get you to join this church. This is for you and God. Have you been saved? Are you satisfied? If today is your last day, will tomorrow's sunrise be the greatest one you've ever seen? That's part of what it means to receive Christ. Catherine Butler got her medical degree from Columbia University. Um, She did her strategic uh, critical and surgical care training at Massachusetts General Hospital. Now, why did Catherine become a doctor? In her words, it's because of her dad. Her dad was very sick. He was about to have cardiac bypass surgery. She said, when I went to hug my dad before he was leaving to go to his surgery, she said he was so sick, I thought he would just slip away as I was hugging him. And she said, instead, a week later, my dad came back home from the hospital he was good. They had fixed the flow of blood and, and, and he was laughing, watching TV shows. And she said, I was stunned at what the doctors were able to do. They took my dying father and a week later he was back home. They, they brought him back home to his family. And she said, I was amazed and I wanted to be a part of helping other people experience what I experienced. But then she got to med school and things got a little different. She said med school was was much more cutthroat than she was expecting. And she suddenly became obsessed with her goals, obsessed with her grades, obsessed with her test scores. In fact, she said this. She said, how can I have a mediocre performance on a test and then expect to save a life? And she said what happened was with that idolatry, what she was really doing was she quit seeking the Lord. She was learning, she was thinking, she was working, she was doing the education, she was doing the school, but she wasn't doing it with the Lord. She started abandoning the people that she loved, not, not spending time with them. And, and in her own words, she said this, she said, I was doing all of this for accomplishments that would pass away. 
Looking back, though, she was able to gain a lot of good gospel advice, and she shared some of it. This is just a few thoughts from Catherine. Contrary to popular thinking, academic achievement does not determine worth. And, and I would just add, it's not just academic achievement. Your job, your marital status, what kind of car you drive, where you live, almost anything and everything that we use to define life, those things do not determine your worth. Do not believe the principle of the green book. Your value is not determined by someone else's subjective feelings, and that includes your own subjective feelings. Your value is determined by the fact that you were created in the image of God. You were created to glorify God and enjoy him. That's where your worth and your value is. She goes on, our value derives from our origin as image bearers of God and from our identity in Christ. Now, just quick thought on that. We are all created in the image of God, but that doesn't mean everybody's saved and going to heaven, okay? So in one sense, your worth is determined by being created by God, but your eternity is determined by having an identity in Christ, by seeking the Lord, by receiving Christ. Catherine goes on, amid the exams and the competition, the grades and the pressure, we rest in the assurance of God's love for us. How many times did you take a test thinking, well, God loves me if I'm getting ready to fail this thing, right? But it's true, somehow we have to move our hearts and our minds in that place. Look, I was never really a great student growing up. Um, wasn't a great student in college. I didn't really start like doing my actual work until I got to seminary. Um, that's when I kind of got for real serious. And so I, I love learning now. I'm, I'm obsessed with learning, you know, everything from, you know, how our boiler works to, you know, um, you know what Daniel, you know, chapter one says, you know. So, I mean, I, I, I like learning now, but I wasn't always a good learner. And I'm sure there were plenty of times that I did not walk into tests like this. And guess what? I got three kids in college. I'm trying to encourage them in these same directions. You know, it's, it's tough. So, I mean, I'm not, not floating any, any easy thoughts here. But they're true thoughts. There's something about stepping into school and work and everything else in life with this assurance of God's love. Catherine goes on. We submit our fears of percentiles and grading curves to the one who made heaven and earth, the one who knew us from the womb, who gave his son so that we might live. That's, that's the call. That's the invitation. So whether it's middle school or high school, whether it's graduate school, whether it's a six-month welding class, whether it's a YouTube video on how to quit your job, whether it's, you know, anything and everything, even just watching the news, all of us are learners. We are all thinking. We are all in the middle of an education, no matter what we're doing in life. And as we learn, the greatest thing we can do is to learn through the filter of the greatest invitation that has ever been given. And that invitation is this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord as you study. Seek the Lord as you take that test. Seek the Lord as you go to work. Seek the Lord as you do that training. Seek the Lord as you watch the news. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and call on his name. 
Seek the Lord while he can be found. And dear friend, God can be found.